Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crowdy. Father, it's good to be with you again. Thanks, we have an opportunity to, to take time out of your busy schedule so we can record and connect with our listeners. A little bit more low key these days in the summer. Don't have the school schedule to run around, but well, that you. helps you. Yeah, now, you still have a little school schedule. So we Father do. Shane, I should be summer school. Maybe you were kind of teeing on. it up for me to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. You know, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's all about you. It's never about mm. me. That's okay. <laughs> no, that's true. It definitely is always about me. So thank you for my, you know, my mom always told me that when I was a kid, she said, you you're think special, it's all father. about you. Yeah. You're so special. My grandma did tell me that one. She goes, yeah, you always did like me in the center of attention. That's probably why I became a priest. <laughs> I said, grandma, that's not why I became a priest. I did it for <laughs> to make a gift of myself. Okay. She's like, no, yeah, it makes sense. You want to be up there talking in front of everybody else. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. Thanks, she's Grandma. a she's a Lutheran after all, so you know she probably. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. Appreciate the support. Trying to do the will of the Lord here. <laughs> she is supportive. She just had to, you know, keep me humble. Cut me down yeah. a couple rungs. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, Shane, is there a sombrero on the statue of Cardinal Newman behind you? On very, your very, very perceptive of you. Yes, there is a little <laughs> tiny sombrero that's on the statue. There is a bust of John Henry Newman. One of the great uh, British figures. You know, I don't mean to be culture. I don't mean to be culturally insensitive, but you know, um, was he a fan of the sombrero? I don't know. Uh, you know more about him than I am. No, that I was because a seminarian walked in here and just put a sombrero <laughs> on the statue in my that's, office. That's, that's what happened here. That's excellent. It's just a tiny little sombrero that fits that so perfectly. <laughs> yeah. No, I need to take that down. I, it, the uh, one of the seminarians was on an eight-day silent retreat, and he had done this before the retreat began. And so he's in silence, and he stopped by my office in the middle of the, of the retreat because he just wanted to see if I had kept it up or so if I got that's upset. Pretty, is that pretty recent? Oh, yeah. It was just just recently. Oh, funny. Yeah, it's right behind you. So he video. just stopped by, and I could just see. He just poked his head in. He was on a silent retreat. He didn't say anything. He <laughs> wanted to see recollected in prayer. But he just looked up and saw that the statue still had the sombrero on it, and it just brought him so much joy. Now, had you seen so it? So I've just did kept you, it. Did you see it right away? Yeah, it's been right up there away? for a couple of weeks. But now. I mean, you noticed it right away when you walked yeah. in. You said, "Okay, got gotcha. you." Yeah, yeah. You probably always give a little kiss to the Cardinal Newman statue when you come into your office, anyways. So, I'm a fan, but I, I guess I, I'm not that devoted. I so I don't. Oh, good. <laughs> not that devoted. Oh, to, Shane, uh, you said you said you had a story for me, but I started talking about sombreros on Cardinal Newman's. Statues. That's all right. You were you were perceptive. So glad you caught it your caught it your eye here. So I was in an Uber car recently, and I was having a fascinating conversation with the driver. You know, it's always interesting when you when you step into those public situations dressed as a priest, you know, yes. people are usually very quick or very, very unwilling to tell you about their views of religion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he was a practicing Catholic, and he, he shared the story with me that a few years ago, he was not practicing his faith. Um, he was going through an enormous amount of health complications. He was experiencing a 101-degree temperature, a, a fever, and he was hospitalized and the, the medical team had been working for days to try and figure out what is going on with this man. They could not come up with a diagnosis, and they could not get his temperature to, to come down into a more manageable level. Mm. Well, one day he's just laying in bed. This is going on for a while. He's laying in bed, and a priest comes in and puts on a purple stole. 
And he just said, hey, what's up, Padre? And he's, the, the priest said, well, I'm here to anoint you. Uh, I'm here to give you the last rites mm. in kind of the, the, the old classical terminology. Yeah. And he said, really? And he goes, yeah, you need it. And uh, so they prayed together and he anointed him. And then a few hours later, the nurse comes in and says, I don't know what's going on. This is wonderful. Your temperature has gone down. And he said, well, maybe it had something to do spiritually with the priest coming in to anoint me. And the, the nurse said, well, what are you talking about? There's been no priest on these rounds. Whoa. We have not seen anyone on the floor. And he said, no, there was a priest who came in here and anointed me. This is what he looked like. We had a nice conversation. He anointed me. He prayed over me. It was, it was really powerful. And she said, sir, I'm here to tell you, you're in isolation because of your health condition and, and the management of your temperature. We are not allowing any guest into your room. There's no way a priest came in here. And he said, I'm telling you, there's a priest. And he actually he, uh, rubbed his forehead and he yeah. showed his fingers to the nurse because the oil was still kind of glistening on his forehead. Still fresh. Still fresh. Whoa. Um, and she, she was saying, I'm here to tell you, I've been at the front desk. You haven't had any visitors. And they went back and forth, back and forth. And he just said, well, you believe what you want. But there was a priest who showed up here. Mm. Now, who was it? He doesn't know. But he also knew in that moment that he was really spiritually at a low point. There was a real level of spiritual poverty in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right after he got out of the hospital, he started going back to Mass. He's a frequent daily Mass goer. Wow. He's got wonderful relationships with other devout Catholics, um, and he supports his local parish. Um, but he said, you know, he just kind of looks back at that moment as a rock bottom experience where he was just really in the depths of spiritual poverty, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to do way too much on his own terms, wanting to try and grasp life, life on his own terms, which really made him quite poor in his relationship with the Lord in terms of a receptivity or even an abandonment into the providential plans of God. But it was precisely in that poverty that somehow this priest, we don't know, either you know on a natural level or a supernatural level, a priest showed up and anointed him. We, we, we don't know, and he'll probably never know until he meets the Lord face-to-face in glory someday. But regardless of that, he knows that at a moment of deep spiritual poverty, the Lord came to meet him there, mm. and it made all the difference. It's changed him, yeah. Oh, it's changed him tremendously. Um no, I'm not necessarily suggesting that everyone around them become spiritually poor and give up on God so that you know God can somehow rescue them in these dramatic ways. Mm. Um, but I, what I am suggesting is that we do need to give more attention to the poor. Um, and I think we can be very, very flippant about this in the church. Certainly Jesus was a man who was always you know, in search of the poor. And, and I think we can be flippant in the sense that, well, you know, I, I give some money to the local soup kitchen— I try and you know turn over my used clothing to the to the local clothing shelter so that the, the poor and the needy can use that, and that's all wonderful. And we should not stop those corporal works of mercy of trying to help others in their physical need. But I guess, Father, for the for the sake of this conversation, I'd just like to challenge ourselves and our listeners to broaden that sense of what poverty truly is mm. in a contemporary culture, and to say, do we really see the poor in our midst? And do we reach out to them to meet them in their poverty, especially mm-hmm. when they're in those moments of feeling like they're at rock bottom? Mm-hmm. A poverty that is not just financial and economic. Mm-hmm. A poverty that can be relational, social, emotional, spiritual, mental. 
there, there's so many levels of poverty in which someone is feeling um, very, um, very famished, famished. Uh, their resources are spent, they feeling like they've, they've just run dry. Uh, do we really see the poor in our midst, and are we willing, are we willing to go out and meet them in their need? Um, I don't know that all of our listeners every day encounter the economically and the materially poor, but I would imagine here, at least in the context of the United States, all of us are meeting the social, the mental, the spiritual poor just on a, on a constant basis based on, on how impoverished our culture is leaving them at times. Any thoughts on that, Father? Oh, yeah, I'm taking notes. A uh, few things. That's so true. Um, I've had the opportunity to encounter the physically poor in a few different kind of profound ways on a poverty immersion that I had at a homeless shelter um, in Omaha uh, for a month once. I mean, then working with a simple house in Kansas City. Um, mm-hmm. a, few, a few different thoughts. One from Mother Teresa, one from the director of a simple house, Clark Macy. Clark Macy would always say, you know, there is always a recognition that spiritual poverty is abundant. And as Mother Teresa said, you know, like the poverty of the West is a particular spiritual poverty, right? She was experiencing the physical poverty of India, of Calcutta. And Father Shane, you visited there. Like you've seen that, you've encountered that. But she came to the West and she saw the, the spiritual poverty that's present. And I've, I've encountered that so often. Clark would always say, though, nobody's more spiritual. Nobody's more spiritually poor than the physically poor as well. That can also be the opposite sometimes, right? People who live with great simplicity and live that provincial life and even sometimes in some abject poverty, they can actually have more of a simple life and an openness to God's presence, right? We Mm -hmm. see that in different times and places in the church. But this is what I've learned myself, and this is where I think I want to just kind of add to what you just said. There does need to be this recognition of the poor in our midst, and not just the physically poor, but all these different levels of poverty, those who are in in a particular lack or need in their life, unless we first, unless I first recognize my own poverty and my own lack, Mm -hmm. then, then it's always a temptation. There's always a temptation of a savior complex. Mm -hmm. There's always a temptation of just being a do-gooder. And I remember (laughs) in Kansas city on the streets, Clark at a simple house would often say, you know, do-gooders get spotted out right away. So we'd always wear crucifixes because he said, Christ has street cred. Um, when you're making a gift of yourself, but to be a Christian, to wear a crucifix, ought to be a recognition of my own poverty, right? That mm-hmm. without Christ, I'm nothing, that he is the life of my life, and that who I am at my core is actually, I'm, I'm lacking something, right? I'm not just totally self-sufficient in myself, and then Jesus is just like a nice, as I've said before, a little sprinkle on the top for my life to make it kind of nice, you know? But that true poverty is to realize that I am in need, and if I can recognize that I'm in need myself, maybe not to the point of like rock bottom, but that I'm always coming back to him, I'm always coming back to God, I'm always begging for what I need because I don't have it, I don't have what I need, then I can actually see the world with new eyes and recognize first my own poverty and then see the poverty of my brothers and sisters. That changes it, right? Mm-hmm. That's not just you know my experience, this is absolutely no offense to people who live in West Omaha, but just my experience was we were in downtown Omaha different church groups, different like kind of corporate groups would come to Sienna Francis at the homeless shelter and they would serve different meals. And it was wonderful. And I'm so glad that they came. Right. And it was this, it was a beautiful encounter with poverty. Right. But this the same reality happens with mission trips sometimes. Right. Okay. Affluent white people come from America because we have something that the poor people in Honduras or wherever don't have. And we're coming to bring you what we have. We're coming to give you something that you don't have. And then we feel really good because we helped you out and then we leave. 
Mm-hmm. Now, that is a that is a reduction of what often happens on mission trips, but it's still a temptation because if we don't first recognize, like, I am just as poor as the physically poor person in Honduras who I built a house for, you know, two years ago when I took a trip there. If I don't realize that I'm also poor, that I also need others and I need Christ in my life, then my approach toward helping the poor is going to look a little skewed, right? Mm-hmm. But if there's always this recognition that I'm poor myself, like a spiritual poverty, that I need to have the, you know, the virtue of... Uh, poverty of spirit, that I'm poor in spirit, then I can also look and help those who are in need. I think that's well said, and and I think we can build upon that. For you to be able to say, when I go serve the poor, whoever, whatever level they are in, I have to recognize first my own poverty before I can truly appreciate and encounter this other person in their poverty, right? Mm-hmm. And when you do that, when you recognize your own circumstances is mirroring, mirroring in parallel to another person's experience, well, then what's happening? There, there's a shared encounter of personhood, mm. right? Mm. Th- this person is not a project for me. I, I'm not just showering them with my time, my energy, my financial resources just because they're a project, mm-hmm. but rather I'm here to encounter a person. And yes. then, you know, from a Catholic perspective, uh, what person are you encountering? Well, you're not just encountering the person of the poor, you're also encountering the person of Christ who is living in that poor person. Christ who is also living in you in your own poverty, Christ who is also living together collectively in the body of believers as the mystical body of, of the church, right? Um, so there's, there's, there's this drive to say we're not encountering the poor just simply for a project or to avoid a project, but rather to actually encounter Christ in the depths of personhood. Mm-hmm. A simple house simply called, well, simply, that's kind of funny. They called their ministry... They didn't, they didn't talk about it. I mean, so they live in a kind of a renovated house in kind of a pretty crummy neighborhood in Kansas City, in D.C., and I think they had a couple other houses around the country, around the world. And they minister to the folks who are there, but they just call it friendship evangelization because what they do is establish friendship and help out friends as you would help out any of your other friends, right? Mm-hmm. What does my friend need? Oh, my friend's got like a busted up deck that needs kind of repaired because it's pretty dangerous to try to walk in the back of their house, you know? Well, praise God that they live in this house and, you know, that they have this this place, um, this shelter. But, okay, we're going to figure out some people who might have some resources, might have some skills, and we're going to help them fix that, right? Oh, mm-hmm. or like, oh, my friend is actually on the street, but my friend actually suffers from mental illness, and there's actually a lot of you know, state-funded things that they could qualify for that they have no idea how to apply for. Well, I'm going to help them apply for those things, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how they, and what's beautiful to see is the change that happens in people to recognize like, hey, they need something. Um, I have a little anecdote myself that I experienced, not mm-hmm. unlike your guy that you met in the Uber when I went to Santa Francis in Omaha, this homeless shelter, one of the first nights there was this man named Tom. And if he's in heaven, God rest his soul. I, I assume that be the case because it's been a number of years now. And he was diagnosed with cancer. And he was one of the angriest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, myself and my fellow seminarian who were there, we, we spent some time just listening to him. And it got to the point where he was complaining about everything in the world besides, I mean, everything. Everything was a complaint, right? A reason for his anger. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where we said, well, we're sitting here. It was like, nobody cares about, you know, that nobody cares. I don't care about anybody else. And we said, well, we care about you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we've said, we could have done anything else, but you know, we're sitting here, but we were on a poverty immersion and we, we were experiencing our own poverty, right? Our own poverty of relationship that we needed to, we needed God. 
in these moments and we just spent time with him and there was no agenda. It was just to spend time with him. And my friend, Micah and I, father Micah now we got to see over literally three, just three weeks, the change happened in him. He went from saying he, he, he had just been diagnosed with throat cancer and he had only six months to live. And he was telling everybody he didn't want a funeral. He didn't want anybody there. He didn't want a family there. He just, he didn't care. Right. The first week he said, will you take me to get my, uh, my laundry washed at a laundromat? We said, hmm. okay. The second week, we just spent time with him. There was zero agenda here. We spent time with him. He said, will you take me to get my hair cut? Hmm. I said, yeah, sure. Then the next time we, we actually eventually found out he was Catholic. Um, he said, can I take you guys to lunch? He was a vet. He had money. You know, he was just living, but he was living in a homeless shelter. And by the end of the three weeks, he was talking to a religious sister who was a social worker there and planning his funeral. And we actually watched this conversion and watched this change, right? And what was what was beautiful was Father Micah and I, when we were seminarians, throughout the whole time, we were encountering our own poverty, right? Our own poverty of our ability to be good friends to one another, our own poverty to be consistent in, in daily prayer, our own poverty of trying to be, you know, the best we could be, whatever, of, of encountering people and meeting them where they are. But we, we got to encounter Tom's poverty in a really profound way. But we got to see how communion and how the Lord's presence there with us actually was changing him, right? So it wasn't just we were meeting him to make ourselves feel good because we hung out with this homeless guy, right? It actually became a real place of friendship and encounter. Um, and yeah, I think there's just such a hope there that when we meet people in poverty, it's not just because Jesus told us to or because we know it's a good thing to do, you know? Because people can That's actually beautiful. change, yeah. Well, good for you, not only for just committing the time to this man, but allowing yourself to also be changed and transformed by him. Mm-hmm. You, didn't, you didn't sit there and remain for three weeks with him in this do-gooder state, but you allowed the beauty of his life, even in the midst of the anger and the ongoing healing, mm-hmm. to also leave an impact in you. I mean, that's a true community of persons, and that's a willingness to kind of meet somebody. Um, you know, Father, as, as we kind of draw this to a close, I would just like to maybe offer a quote from our Holy Father, Pope Francis, um, in, the, in his very first message from November of 2017, in commemoration of the first World Day of the Poor, he said this, If we truly wish to encounter Christ, we have to touch his body and the suffering bodies of the poor as a response to the sacramental communion bestowed in the Eucharist. The body of Christ, broken in the sacred liturgy, can be seen through charity and sharing in the faces and persons of the most vulnerable of our brothers and sisters. St. John Chrysostom's admonition remains ever timely. If you want to honor the body of Christ, do not scorn it when it is naked. Do not honor the Eucharistic Christ with silk vestments, and then, leaving the church, neglect the other Christ suffering from cold and nakedness. Uh, There's a real call there by our Holy Father to encounter another in, in the person of Christ, and to allow their presence, their personhood, to have an impact in you as Christ speaks to us through that encounter. And I, I just want to encourage all of our listeners to keep your eyes peeled for who is poor in our midst, especially the socially poor, the spiritually poor, uh, those who are, are just mentally poor. Maybe they're just run down by this culture or what the effects of technology have done to them. Keep your eyes peeled and really see the poor as an opportun- opportunity to see Christ and to encounter another person. Father, thanks for your thoughts today. It's good to be with you. Likewise, Father Shane. Yeah, that's helpful to have new eyes that are open to see the poverty in ourselves and others around us. Thanks for being God bless. Thanks for tuning in. 
Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.